Hello and welcome back to the Time to Change podcast. Uh, I'm Aaron Tracy and today I'm joined by a very special guest, James Byrne. James, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you? Yeah, so um, I mean, obviously I know Aaron from school. Uh, We were in school together in the US for six years. I am currently an undergraduate student at DCU studying a course called uh, EPL, which is Economics, Politics and Law. Basically, we do kind of all three for two years. And then in your final year, you choose what route you're going to get in. And then you get a few options. So, for example, financial economics, um, you can go into, say, welfare economics, or then you can also go into politics or law. Uh, I'll probably specialize in financial economics. Um, and I'm also subsequently the chair of the DCU Investment Society. And uh, I work also kind of a... Uh, just lightly, I work for a startup fund at a Trinity, and I represent DCU. So I, it's uh, a venture capital fund, and I look for startups around DCU and look for funding opportunities for them. Yeah, so James is obviously very experienced in the financial markets. Uh, I remember in school he used to talk about it a lot, and we'd always kind of talk about our kind of financial goals for the future uh, and what we saw. So. Um, James, can I just ask, like, how did you first start getting into investing? So I think how I got into investing has to come from, uh, basically, you've known me a long time. And I suppose the main difference between us is you're quite regimented and setting your goals. And I was always a bit of a, I followed where my heart led me. And I kind of just, I was very, you know, I was very sudden in my movements. And for a long time, I wanted to join the police. And the reason I wanted to join the police, the Gardaí, is because I thought I could be a detective because everything I wanted to do in my job revolved around challenges. I love being given puzzles and quizzes and things to play around with until I find the answer, until I find what I'm happy with. The Gardaí was a massive part of that. And then that naturally grew in the more interested I became in current affairs. I've always been mad into politics. I've always been mad into news. Uh, you know, current affairs, American politics, uh, global, political crises, everything. And that eventually led into how those things react with the global economy. And for me, that was just really interesting. So I saw financial markets as an opportunity to kind of meet that love of current affairs and reading about the news and reading about the global political crises in this country and that country and international affairs and that married it to that problem solving kind of attitude in terms of how do I marry this into the financial markets? How do I find where they both meet? Eventually that's what led me into investing uh, and eventually my college course thereafter. And ever since I've never looked back, um, I think we've all had our wobbles with our college courses. Uh, But for me, the mainstay in my thinking has always been the economy and financial markets and just working somewhere in there. Yeah, so I think like kind of what what you mentioned there, if anyone's ever interested in kind of problem solving and anything to do with the world and how the world works, uh, economics and investing is something you should definitely get into. It really helps kind of stimulate your mind and uh, especially the problem solving side of it. You know, uh, on a daily basis in the kind of financial markets, you're going to have to solve problems and uh, you're always going to be up to date with current affairs. So for any of our younger listeners out there who are kind of thinking of possible future jobs or future career career paths, if that kind of interests you, I'd highly recommend doing something in the financial stream. Um, so James, kind of 
if we're talking about and um, there's a lot of people kind of listening to this podcast and who kind of follow the page who may not have invested for the first uh, ever and they're looking to kind of get into the investment market for the first time start kind of getting into the financial market if you were to give one piece of advice or one thing that you wish you had known when you first started investing what would that be well i mean <laughs> I, I, I'm honest about my beginnings in investing and economics and everything. And, you know, originally when I started investing, I lost money. I, I lost a good bit of money when I started investing. And how I tie that into my advice is that you see too many young people and too many people starting in investments and even foreign exchange trading and all these things that think they're smarter than the market. The market is always going to be smarter than you. But the key thing is how you adapt yourself to play those markets. And you need to understand the micro markets within the large macro market and understand how those markets suit you. You know, I think there's, a, there's an innate difference between you and me in that you're extremely mathematical and technical and I'm much more perceptive to kind of, you know, interpersonal situations. That in itself, you need to play to your strengths. And too many times when I was a bit younger getting certain investments that I thought I could be the quantitative trader and I thought I could attempt to back test and I thought I could attempt all these things but in reality I just wasn't playing to my strengths and it wasn't until I looked into other aspects and read books about other investors like uh, Benjamin Graham the a walk a random walk down Wall Street until I read these books about the different approaches and the fundamental approaches to investing that's when I realized that's where I fit in and the money then, money is obviously a side product of what actual investing is. But once the money started to come in, I realized that I was finally kind of barking up the right tree. And I think too many people enter the market uh, having watched maybe the big short and the Wolf of Wall Street and just saying, you know, in the big short, they sold, uh, they sold credit default swaps on housing, housing bonds. I'm going to do that and I'll make a heap of cash. You know, too many people take that as the word of God, go do it and lose a lot of money. So my my biggest advice is you're, you're not smarter than the market. Nobody is. Um, it's a fine-tuned mathematical equation to beat everyone. Uh, so play to your personal strengths and learn what works for you and stick to that. Yeah, I think that's that really is some huge advice. Like the, the thing is, especially as young people in kind of investing today there's literally thousands of people in london and new york who are paid to be all retail traders and um, you know people in the banks who on a daily basis they know where everyone's money is they know what's going to happen in the market and they're they're going to try beat you on a daily basis whether it be um in the stock market bond market forex market etc one one thing I learned and what I had to learn was that I can maybe day trade on something like the foreign exchange trading because, it, you know, it's a lot more quantitative and, and kind of more to do with technical analysis. But when I when I started to approach the stock market and the indices, um, I realized I have to take a much more fundamental and long term approach. I need to be willing to hold these sort of uh, stocks and indices for 10, 10, 15 years. So I think as well, kind of understanding the market and understanding what you're investing in. I think that's huge. So many people just go in kind of blindly without doing their research and just yeah, they can do it all, you know? I think, I think one, of my, one of my biggest things and that I always try to educate people on this is 
like I understand you're into forex, but for me, forex is one of the biggest benefits of them all because you know retail investors get caught in traps because very little people, well, very little retail investors know how the actual banking system works. You know, I've talked to many a retail investor who invests off his phone or his laptop uh, about, say, how the exchange rates and how the banks get offered the rates by other banks sooner. And there's very few of these traders who are ed- educated on how that works. You know, it is hard. It's inherently hard. And this is why retail investors have to be on top of their game. It's inherently hard to beat the old boys club that is a banking system. You know, if you and me were two sales traders in investment banks, we could ring each other with the prices that aren't on the exchange. You know, as a, as a retail investor, whether it's for or against you, the only price you have is the exchange, the exchange price. And I mean, that, that is something, again, when you talk about being not smarter in the market and playing to your strengths, you have to factor in that you're pulling against the weight of massive billion dollar institutions every day. And that can, that can wear someone down very easily. Yeah, it's, it really is incredible. They say around 90% of traders lose in the foreign exchange market. I'm sure it's probably similar to kind of the stock market and so on. And you have, the problem is with kind of today world, and um, you can look on YouTube and you get an ad for eToro or Trading212 saying like, copy our investors here, we'll make you this rich. None of that's true. It's all, it's all a load of rubbish. To be honest, what you need to do is get educated on the subject. And it's a long haul. If there's young people listening to this today and this is something i learned very quick kind of investing in the forex market and now moving into the stock market is that nothing good will occur to you in the first month two months or whatever this is a process that is going to this is a whole learning process that is going to benefit you for the rest of your life but it's like the first time you get on the bike you're not expected to be on the tour de france you know you need to have the stabilizers learn to balance and you know keep training and practicing even the best of the best always go and practice and you know are are constantly updating their knowledge you know of different companies um, yeah. And the best thing to do, you know, as a young person, I really think is just you can dip your toe in, but always just be prepared. Yes, I can take this loss, but how can I learn from it? And there's people who are too impatient. As soon as they see red or they see a loss, they're saying, oh, I'm out of this. It doesn't work for me. Take that loss, learn from it, because I think that's going to be like one of the biggest learning experiences. You, you know, for me, I, I remember it. I opened my you were you were kind of we were in school together when I did. I opened my first trading accounts when I was just turned 18 so it was December when we were in our final year of school and uh, I didn't make money until realistically the summer after I'd finished first year of college so I mean that even then that's, that's a good it's about a year it's about a year and three months spread now about a year and six months I mean that and even at that I would regard the money I made after in that summer it's somewhat lucky you know, it wasn't that I, I was running a compounding portfolio that kept turning over money to me. It's that I had a few good picks. Those picks played off for me and I was able to kind of, you know, finance a bit of my summer and finance my return to college. So, I mean, you have to be, all I'd say to the retail investor there in terms of what I would talk about investing in my advice. It's just, you know, like I said, you're not smarter in the market. Play to your strengths and also be very realistic about your your outlook you know I, I it was only the other day a friend from college texted me saying i've got some money in my bank account it's just lying there um i'd like to put it to work and you know i was like i asked them what are your goals and they said uh well i'd love to 
try pay for my holiday this summer and I said I had to say to them very honestly I was like you know you're looking at if we're gonna get real money out of it in safe in a safe manner for now this is someone hence this is someone who doesn't study anything related with financial markets that would have very little to do with financial markets and I don't think reads about financial markets so I mean I was saying you've got to realistically stay around the benchmarks you got to stay around those those mainstay too big to fail stocks and the realistic is you're going to probably get six seven percent a year and that's even on a good year and I mean I think too many people come into retail investing for the wrong reasons I think people come in to make money quick which is not what investing is I think people come in uh, to do it as a personality trait which is not the, the reality in my opinion and I'm not trying to waffle here but the, the the reality in my opinion is that investing is a a a hobby first then it becomes a job you know people have investing mindsets and the people that have investing mindsets are the people who are not afraid to ask ugly questions and they're the people that will poke holes in arguments and they're the people that won't settle for debate but when they eventually are proven wrong they'll hold their hands up and say okay i'm wrong they're the people that are born investors it's easy to sit down and say i'm going to be a foreign exchange trader and i'm going to make 20 million euros by next year but it's hard to develop your mindset <clears throat> that when you say something I don't agree with, I can say to you, well, Aaron, could you show me the backing behind that? Have you got any data to prove that up? Why Why do you think that? No, I think differently. That's investing. Investing is a mindset. And it's, it's a mindset in terms of how you act and how you think about everything. Yeah, uh, you're so right. And, you know, I think social media has made it look very unrealistic. Um, and obviously movies as well, like Wolf of Wall Street, everyone wants to be that guy, like Leonardo DiCaprio. Again, it's a movie. He was a criminal. He was yeah. a criminal. That's was a criminal and, you know, <laughs> may have had a great lifestyle or whatever, but like you yeah. had to, he ended up in prison. So I don't think anyone wants that. Short, short lived, yeah. Um, so anyway, James, I was wondering if you could discuss now your own personal portfolio and kind of give some reasons behind each investment. Yeah, of course. So how how I decide to work my portfolios is that during the college year, I'd be quite caught up running for good body stockbrokers, run a competition for colleges uh, where you have to have a portfolio and develop trading strategies and execute. So that is quite strenuous. It's near. It's essentially like running a real portfolio. It's the same workloads. So I tend not to keep my personal portfolio open. But what I do do it's from about April uh, to about September every year, I try to run a portfolio. So I'll go into what I did last summer. Um, so what I try to do is I try to find value stocks uh, that are going to add, since it's short term enough, it is uh, just the summer, you're looking for stocks that are going to add maybe $10, $15 stock, right? Per equity. And you're going to look for kind of, mainstay players that are already in the game large cap stocks and you're going to try aim for them who have a bit of growth in them for example um i was big on this summer and it paid off me in the end but i'm big on microsoft uh, i think microsoft are a really interesting pick i think they're going to continue to be interesting i think they're you're you're looking at the amazons the microsoft the apples they're part of the s p 500 and they're a mainstay performer so in terms of how I pick these stocks, you have to look into the fundamentals, but also not get caught up in the fundamentals. Uh, you have to look at what they're developing. You know, this was during kind of the rise of COVID. So Microsoft Teams was looking to be a real prospect, which it still is. Massive, massive amount of business uptake. 
uh, something I really like looking at is I love looking at their uh, their assets under management and their cash flows. So Microsoft, when I invested, had I think at the time 200 million in cash reserves. I mean, coming into COVID, where there's going to be a lot of discounted investment opportunities, it was my opinion that Microsoft had a war chest. Uh, and I was right. They they were ready to go. They were loaded up with cash. And I think if they were to liquidate all their assets, they would have been looking at a billion or something. So, I mean, they, Microsoft were very, very liquid. And I, I like the idea of that. So I bought them at 170. And I think when I sold out, it was 213. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a good pump. That's, that's a good win. But I mean, it's obviously not long-term sustainable. But I mean, I, I was a college student during the summer. I'm not looking to build investment banks out of a Revolut trading account. Yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's just that's a small example. There were a few others like Stoneco, Wells Fargo, uh, PayPal. Like that's a small example, but that's how I seek to invest. That's kind of my mindset. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way of kind of investing, kind of understanding the the current economic climate, and then kind of applying that to the stock market and going with what you know. Like James isn't a rocket scientist, you know. He's not going to invest in the next. In, you know. in, in fact, I I'm incredibly lackluster with math. <laughs> but so. as as in, like you're investing in a company you know, Microsoft. You know, you're not investing in some like, you know, Chinese um, new technology that you have no idea about. You're investing in what you know, and this is something. Um, having listened to a lot of podcasts myself, something that a lot of um, kind of institutional traders recommend for retail traders. Too many times retail traders are trying to be like a dragon's den and find the next up and coming thing, but that can be very difficult and can be very risky as well. And um, for example, say if you just invest in like the S&P 500, for example, something I have about 40% of my portfolio in, over the last 10 years, it's averaged 13% return on Adam, all right? NASDAQ, mm -hmm. the top 100 technology stocks, okay, technology that we use every day, Apple, Microsoft, as James kind of mentioned, which are also in the S&P 500. I think that annualizes around a 20% return. And, you know, I, I was reading an article by Warren Buffett, and he said one of his best advice is, you know, invest in kind of these strong companies, invest in a low cost index fund like an S&P 500 and invest in companies along that line in blue chip stocks, you know? As they say in the Wolf of Wall Street, they want to give them the penny stocks, the, the rubbish, all right? But as, a, as what we want to do, we want to find blue chip stocks that are there for long-term success and aren't going to have too much fluctuation because fluctuation is risk. Um, so James, really appreciate that insight there. Uh, obviously, you mentioned at the start you are the chair of the DCU Investment Society. What are some of the yeah. things you've kind of learned from being in this leadership uh, position um, in the Investment yeah. Society? So uh, the Investment Society is pretty pretty solid. So um, I will also, hand just while we're on the topic, I'll run through the other, I'll run through our main portfolio, should we say. All right, give, go for it. Yeah, give your we'll give your listeners some of the real juice here. We'll, we'll give them what's really going on. Perfect. Not my little, not my little money move. So, how we how we work is with this, we're running a, a portfolio with a million in dummy capital. The aim of the game isn't for profits, but the aim of the game is you have to develop a strategy, apply it, and have statistical me measures to prove your strategy works and works fruitfully. 
So what I decided to do is we'd go for eight stocks or equities. So we go for eight equities. You go two at 15% of the portfolio. It's 150K each. And then you go for six at seven and a half percent. At the moment, we are operating uh, we're operating one of our 15% slots. We're still waiting for the next one. We recently dropped the position. We're uh, currently operating five of the 7.5% slots and we're looking to add one more. Then to hedge against inflation. And so to protect yourself against inflation, what we did is we bought three corporate bonds. Uh, so bonds are basically long-term loans that give you a bit of interest in order for you attaining the money to that company so they can increase their cash flow. So we decided Coca-Cola can't see them going anywhere for a while. So we got a double A rated bond, which is uh, the second highest safe, safety, no, second like, credit, oh, right. credit worthy, yeah, credit worthiness uh, rating. So we got that till 2031. We got our 5%. Uh, we also took Goldman Sachs, which are a double B rating, and we took Wells Fargo, which are an A rating. So basically, what we did is we protected ourselves against inflation, especially coming out of COVID. Uh, there's going to be bad inflation in the next few years, I'd say. Uh, relatively, over the last kind of few years, the global economy has been hovering in around 0% inflation rate. Uh, I, I would imagine you could expect to see that go up uh, in the next few years, um, purely because of the amount of stimulus that's taken place during COVID yeah. and the amount of liquidity the market is experiencing. It's quite liquid. Um, then the kind of stocks we're targeting then, uh, I decided to take a sustainable approach, so not fully ESG, but I, I wanted every company to, I invested in to have a sustainable aspect about them. So I asked all my, basically how this works is I have eight analysts from the team and I asked them each to do this and do that. So we ended up going for HubSpot. So, sorry, someone just walked in there. So we went for HubSpot, which are a, kind of a large cap tech stock. They're about to launch a mid-market product, which is very good to take on Salesforce. So we fancied our chances of a HubSpot. Uh, Solar Edge, they make solar panels for, uh, they make solar panels in America for consumers. Uh, they also make them for companies. And they're also, they make one of the main connectors for, do you know Tesla's, I think it's their Powerwall? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So they make the connectors for the Tesla Powerwall. So we get massive money out of them. Uh, we took Nike, we took two manufacturing companies that make the charging ports for European electric bus stations. So there you go, there's a bit of a, <laughs> a, bit of a, bit of a, a, bit of a mouthful. And then we took one of our biggest positions in an Irish company in Smurfit Kappa. Um, because Smurfit Kappa uh, have been far ahead of the sustainable market for a number of years now. Um, and they've been doing green packaging for quite some years, and we genuinely believe that Smurfit are about to come into an era of prosperity. So I think, yeah, I think what you you're saying is is really really clever as well, kind of going down the sustainable route because that that is the future, especially if the European companies uh, and kind of like countries around the world keep to their promises. Uh, I think it's in Europe, I forget which year it is, but I think it's in the 2040s that they're hoping to be somewhat carbon uh, neutral. 20, 2030, carbon 20, neutral. 2030 even, wow. Yeah. So like the, the thing is, this is this is a great opportunity. It's not something I've looked at in, in my portfolio, but I'm hoping to in the future. It's a great opportunity now to get in before um, what will likely happen in the future where 
governments will be relying on companies like these to provide um, certain solutions uh, to adhere to these, you know, standards set by the EU, for example. And it's kind of, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity here for long-term success. And as long as the companies, if the companies are successful now, that success is just going to increase. And um, even when you look at US kind of renewable companies with, with Biden now as president, you know, they, they have a much, you know, stronger outlook compared to when Trump was that president because he, he really didn't care about, you know, the, um, the greenhouse gases or like anything renewable. So it is, it's a really clever idea, I think, investing now before companies kind of get onto it. Mm. You're kind of getting onto it before the train uh, yeah. leaves the station. So in terms of what else we do with this society then, uh, it's uh, it's one of the medium-sized DCU societies, so it's not one of the large ones with four or five hundred in it. Uh, we have a good member base. I think at the moment we're around two fifty, maybe a bit less. Um, so my day-to-day -day with the society would be interacting with other societies around campus, trying to get events sorted. Uh, we also interact with companies. Uh, for example, we had earlier on this year we had a trading simulation where uh, we had 60 members from the society, half got to be sales traders, half got to be asset managers. That was really fun because it kind of shows you that it's not all just clicking buttons with numbers. Uh, we have to communicate with each other, try to get deals out of each other, uh, try to build relationships with your favorite traders, get on the phone to them. So that, that was really, really fun. So we do stuff like that. It just gives you a different aspect of finance because it can be fairly heavy weather when every lecture is about financial markets and it's all about this and this kind of bond and this is how a liquidity trap works and just all the you know the boring ins and outs of the financial world so it's good to get that other aspect yeah and i think it's really um, important as well for anyone kind of in a financial course you know uh you can be so often caught up with the theory by joining a, a society like James's, you get a bit more of the practical usage of your theory, if that makes sense. And um, so I'd really recommend uh, if anyone, I know there might be a few listeners from DCU. And um, I know the UCD Investment Society is the INE Society. If you're in DCU, say hello to James. Um, but uh, basically, uh, it is a really good idea for anyone in university to get involved in. Absolutely. So, I mean, for example, another big part of what we do is obviously there's hundreds, if not thousands of graduates in Ireland every year looking to go into financial services and uh, go into finance and these kind of these jobs. And what we do is we try to kind of bridge the gap between graduating and job interview whilst you're still in college. Uh, we interviewed, we have talked. So last year we had the CFA Society of Ireland. They came in to have a chat with us at the chief investment officer of ESB. Um, came in to chat about diversification in a global economy. We had earlier on this year, we hosted David McWilliams, the economist. He's an incredibly interesting man. We had a conversation with him about all things uh, economics and also all things being a young person in the jobs market. Uh, we have a long-standing relationship with good body stockbrokers. Uh, you know, they really help us to make our first entries into the financial world and secure the best grad roles. We're also partnered, we're linked with a, a private equity fund called Renatus. They get us to promote their graduate roles. So, I mean, aside from all, what we do is we try connect people who are motivated enough to join a society like investments. And we try to connect them to the people who can get them interviews into jobs that matter. Um, 
because it is my opinion that people with that kind of drive, the people who we work with every day in the society are, are driven, they're motivated and they're proactive. And those are the people that are going to end up getting the interviews. And that's what we try to do. We try to bridge that gap a bit more. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a great thing to get involved in. So for any young listeners out there, uh, I'd highly, highly recommend that. Um, now, just moving on, uh, I was wondering, and this is because obviously you study uh, quite a bit of economics. I, I'm kind of hoping to give you a broader question here. It's quite a, It's quite a difficult question to answer. But if you were in government today, what would you do to develop the economy? Ooh, um, quite simple, quite broad. I'm not going to go too in depth. I'm not going to set out a program for government here, but quite simple. I, I would stimulate, absolutely stimulate, 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 uh, and focus on SMEs. So your small, medium enterprises. They're they're your core. You know, the, the Apples, the Amazons, the, the Googles of the world aren't going to be damaged as badly by COVID. However, we're at real risk in this country, especially of losing those SMEs, you know, and that inc- I'm going to include pubs and restaurants in that. We're, we're at real re- risk of losing the backbone of our enterprise and our communities and everyone involved with that, the suppliers involved with that. Uh, the customers, the consumers, the people who work for them, everyone even goes all the way up to the, the bus driver that comes into a into a shop for a coffee. You know, so my main thing is that I think what the government have done so far in terms of the pandemic payment, I don't think enough praise has been given to our government for the pandemic payment and what they did and the speed which was done at. Yes, it was kind of a de facto, uh, it was a de facto European wide, global wide approach to, to a problem. But I think the fact that we had such range in the pandemic payments being awarded, and even now that we have the different rates and the fact that they do equate to 400 euros, I think, yes, while we're paying from the budget, and there will be quite a large, quite a large deficit, I believe it was a 19 billion projected, it was, a, it was announced this morning. Um, I, however, think we've done amazing to keep, uh, to keep consumer confidence propped up at a level we have. Uh, and also to keep welfare propped up uh, at a level we have. You know, COVID will lead to higher mortality rates. It will lead to un- unknown hardship in all parts of the world. But I think our government have done very well to protect us. Um, I would have to say stimulate. It, it would be my biggest entry to government. You know, we it was announced this morning there's a 19 billion euro deficit. It was expected to be a surplus this year, 2.5 billion so, you know, austerity isn't going to get that down. But what is, is a healthy, growing economy. And that's how we're going to get out of this whole situation. Yeah, I think it's it's just going to be kind of, can we keep on our feet until we can kind of open up again? And the best way to do that is um, by stimulating, by providing grants, by giving people, you know, payouts. Um, because that, that increases demand and we need demand in a time where there's no demand really because you can't do much. So... And that's going to be it's going to be big for the future. And obviously, we've been through um, many of us in our lifetime, kind of 2008 crash. This crash will could could be worse, you know, just because we've had basically. The thing is, I wouldn't even refer to it as a crash because it's so out of the norm that it's it's no in economics. What it's known as is it's it's a black swan event. Yeah. These are events that happen, you know, maybe once or twice in a lifetime and you cannot. There's no economic indicator that can project this kind of stuff. It's like an earthquake. Yeah, you know, exactly. the, any 
by the time any indicator picks it up, the earthquake has happened and the tremors are on their way. You know, the only the only thing I would say at this point is that if we are to get out of this, we, we need the economy to be stimulated enough and to be healthy enough that it develops a nice appetite coming out of this and is hungry for opportunity. Yeah, and I, I really, I believe with stimula- uh, stimulation and kind of pumping money into the economy, that can definitely be achieved. Um, so kind of on a more, you know, retail sense and a more kind of personal sense, what is your, you've touched on it there, but your future economic outlook, and but more importantly, what do you kind of see as the future of finance and the financial markets and investing? Well, I think I have a few ideas about this. I think we're going to see more globalization. Um, I think it's a trend throughout the last decade and this decade. Uh, I believe that's going to continue strongly. I think it's a good thing. I think globalization is, is something that's good for all of us. You know, we've seen certain movements saying it takes away the culture of countries and it takes away what makes a country a country, but I don't think so at all. You know, I think Ireland has preserved its lovely soul whilst becoming a global economic powerhouse. Uh, this conversation with my parents the other night, you know, great if you grew up in the 1970s and the 1980s, Ireland was a very different place with far less opportunity than what we're dealing with now. You know, we have the ability to go get largely a free education in Ireland and then go on to work for some of the biggest, most powerful companies in the world. I, I think that's a trend I'd love to see continue. Some people don't like it. It's a very controversial topic, but I really do think globalization is the way our country certainly moves forward and the way the EU will move forward. Um, I also see, we touched on this earlier, a green economy is, that is, you know, you, we talk about industrial revolutions and we talk about changing the way we live and we're, we're living at the beginning of it here. Uh, we're, we're changing the way we live, we're changing the way the world works, we're changing the way we transport ourselves, the way we eat food, the way we produce goods. I think you'd be a fool not to be engaged or even believe in a greener economy and a greener world to live in because whether you agree with it or not, and whether you agree with the policies or not, it will happen, it needs to happen. Uh, that's I can see the global economy 100% moving in a green direction. Um, I also see, subsequently also see more global cooperation, I think. That's something that 2020, you know, if you look into the good aspects of 2020, there aren't many. But I mean, I would hold uh, global cooperation massively. You know, we were a very, very divided globe pre-COVID. You know, we were looking at massive foreign relations issues uh, between the US and China. We were looking at intelligence warfare pretty much all over the globe. Um, and we were looking at, uh, we were living in, a, in an era of disinformation. Am I saying they're gone? No. But what I'm saying is this vaccine has actually proven to us as the human race that we can work together when we need to. We actually can. No matter what cultural difference, no matter what language you speak, no matter what political view, if you're a communist or a capitalist, it's just we can work together. And I, I really do. That, so that's my outlook for the global economy. That's where I can see us going over the next 50 years. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with you. And I think, as you kind of mentioned, there's going to be a bit of a green revolution um regarding all, all things in our life you know it's what what i could really see um happening and obviously i most lads are you know our age are huge elon musk fans but um what i could see happening not only within tesla but 
what what you will have is you'll you'll start by paying a share of a car like you won't be buying a full car you'll be buying a share of a company and then the car will just come pick you up whenever and there'll just be cars on the roads and stuff like that but they'll all be electric and every everything in our life will be electric there'll be windmills are not windmills well wind farms everywhere you know solar everywhere and um, it was only when uh, i went to las vegas when i was 16 that i didn't realize that none of the hotels in vegas pay a cent in electricity because around as you're driving into vegas from los angeles all there is is just solar farms everywhere and that powers the whole strip and that can be done everywhere but from an investment point of view it i think um it could be a great opportunity for people to get in involved in green stocks obviously this is a long long term you know plan happening so you mm. you you, you got to be willing to wait 20 20 years you know <laughs> to see some serious returns but you know you're getting in before the storm and i think what you're saying about globalization is great as well you know the opportunities the excitement among kind of graduates to go and work wherever and in huge companies i think is really really important so james i think that's basically everything today thank you so much for coming on really appreciate your insight and um everyone else will catch you on the next episode any questions be sure to hit me up and that's great thanks a million james